0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy
1: the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the 10th installment in our Star Trek Retrospective Movie Review Series. Today, we are going to review Star Trek Nemesis. This is your co host, Corbin. And I'm Brad. Can you believe we're already on our tenth review? Wow! No, it's
0: going fast.
1: It is, and I—it's pretty amazing that they have made ten films so far.
0: It is quite a franchise name. Ten films.
1: It absolutely is, and this is the first film to be released in a not a, not just a different century, but a different millennium than the previous. Wow, films. that's
0: a cool thought.
1: It is because that's this, staying power. It is. The first Star Trek, as many of you may remember, the first film, came out in 1979. So about 23 years it would be. Because this was released December 13th, 2002, right in time for Christmas.
0: That's amazing. And to think that the series was like in the late 60s. And and then that's like 40 years ago. People are still talking about it at that point.
1: It is. Been over 40 years. Star Trek still has a strong television presence as well. And not just a theatrical presence. Now, for this film, they brought a whole new crew on board. Jonathan Frakes is not directing, he directed the previous two films. And listeners, I should note that if you haven't heard our reviews for Star Trek 1 through 9, there's still plenty of time to catch up and listen to those reviews. We will be reviewing all 13 films. So go ahead and make sure to check those out in the archives. Also, the link is in the description below to the entire review collection. Very easy for you to find. And while you're searching there in uh, the description, there's lots of other easy links for you to follow. Links to our Facebook and Twitter page, our official website, even to follow us on iTunes. And if you are listening on iTunes, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. That's definitely not to inflate our egos, we do appreciate that. That's just to help us be found in the rankings so other people can easily find the Silver Screen Guide podcast so we can increase the film discussion community here because we love talking about movies. We love talking about them with you. That's a great free way to support us. But if you do want to financially support us, then go ahead and head on over to our Patreon page where we talk about our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, film commentaries, Q&As, bonus podcasts all of that for the price starting at the price of a starbucks cup of coffee which hey you know i love starbucks you know yeah brad does too but when you drink starbucks it's gone it's not a status it doesn't last but this content does last that content even if you stop subscribing through patreon you still get to keep that content so a lot of great ways to support silver screen guide so don't forget to to tell your friends and family as well. And of course, if you haven't subscribed here on the podcast, that's probably the first thing you should do is don't forget to click that subscribe button. So Stuart Baird, I've not really heard of the name before, but he is a two-time Oscar nominee. He's mostly known for editing films, not directing them. He's he's only directed three in his whole career. And previously he had directed U.S. Marshals, the sequel to... The Fugitive. Yes. Now, he, the two films he was nominated for were editing the Christopher Reeves Superman. Okay. Oscar nominated for that. And it sounded like a documentary to me, Gorillas in the Mist, talking mm-hmm. about Jane. Jane Goodall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jane Goodall. I remember that one. So he edited that film. And he's also still still working. Um, his One of the most recent films that's more notable that he edited was... Skyfall, the James Bond oh, films,
0: great film, yeah,
1: yeah. So he's he's a great editor, yeah. And I think it's cool because he's still he was born in 1947, I believe, but he still knows how to do a lot of great editing. You yeah,
0: know? absolutely, he's kept up with his uh, craft.
1: Yeah, he has. Even as technology has vastly improved from editing Superman, now the writers are John Logan, who is a three-time Oscar nominee, the writer of this film. He also wrote a little film, I think we all may remember, Gladiator.
0: Yes, one of my all-time favorites.
1: Which had just come out, uh, I think it was at the 2001 Oscars, because I believe it came out in 2000. He also wrote and was nominated for two Martin Scorsese films,
0: The Aviator, and he wrote Hugo. We wow, love Hugo. I love Hugo. Boy, knowing that pedigree, really, if I had known that before I watched the movie, it would have given me high hopes too, because it's those are great films absolutely and he's he's done
1: many other films that are noteworthy and of course rick berman is back writing from last time he got story credit so not really screenplay credit and brent spiner who plays data he was really involved with the story which makes sense because he plays a key role key role very key yes now jerry goldsmith is back doing the score i think his best score i think so too and this will be his final time at least so far, so far, that he's ever scored a Star Trek film. Now, there's really not a lot of noteworthy background on this film. Usually, there's always some interesting story or some drama unfolding behind the scenes, but not really for this one. All we know is that Jonathan Frakes was not asked to direct this film, despite directing the previous two. And he, Jonathan Frakes, from everything I can tell, he seems like a class act. He said. There's no hard feelings. That's great. That he wasn't asked to direct. And he was also finishing up work on directing the teen science fiction film Clockstoppers. I Mm. never saw it, but when I was growing up, this film was released. Like I said, I would have been nearing my eighth birthday, but I do actually remember seeing the trailers for Clockstoppers on TV. I always thought it looked like a fun film. Little did I know Jonathan Frakes was the director. (laughs) Now, during filming, the writer Logan and Brent Spiner, they were actually working on a sequel to this film. Interesting. And the sequel would have nicely tied up everything and kind of connected across all 10 films. But as we'll discuss here, it did poorly at the box office. Mm -hmm. And that axed any Star Trek film. Paramount was not going to greenlight anything for the next seven years. So, as I mentioned, the box office numbers weren't too, well, they were bad, to say the least. This film had the highest budget to date at $60 million. And domestically, it only grossed $43 million. That would be a box office flop here in the States. Yeah,
0: that's that's really surprising.
1: And in foreign markets, it only grossed $24 million for a total of $67 million. They only made a $7 million profit.
0: Only seven. When you look at what this franchise has done, that's hardly anything.
1: Oh, it is hardly anything. And for the first time in a long time, it did not open at number one at the box office. Mm-hmm. It opened at number two with $18 million, one of the lower, lowest openings of the whole Trek series. And this is... Kind of embarrassing. Star Trek was beat at the box office by Made in Manhattan. Wow. Jennifer
0: Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: Jennifer Lopez, Ralph Fiennes film. Not a bad film. It's a
0: great film, but totally different, John. You wouldn't think it would beat Star Trek. No way.
1: And it really, it was only by a little over a $100,000 that it beat it. So close. It was close. But that does show that Star Trek fatigue was real considering it had been four years since the previous Mm -hmm. film and i don't go listen to a review of that listeners Mm -hmm. whenever a film is very has a very kind of not the great reception and then it does take a long time uh, we kind of saw this between men in black and men in black too people aren't going to turn out at the theater
0: yeah it's too long and there's kind of skittish about what they feel
1: And so for the top box office, the top five for that weekend was Made in Manhattan at number one, Star Trek Nemesis, Drumline, then the James Bond film Die Another Day, number four, and The Hot Chick. So as you can see, some of those films have had staying power, but not all of them. Now currently on IMDb it holds a 6.4 which is kind of funny because the previous film also has a 6.4.
0: Yeah, that's 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 hard to reconcile.
1: That is. And this is going to be even more shocking. Critics only 37% of critics gave it a favorable rating.
0: Man, I can't believe we were watching the same movie as those critics.
1: I know, it's really shocking. It's the second lowest in the series, only Star Trek 5. Has is lower at I think 22%, but I think they're in totally different ballparks here. Sure. So critically, it is considered worse than Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek Generations.
0: That's just wrong.
1: It's really unbelievable. And I think that having, and that's exactly why we're doing these reviews is because we are. What, about 17 years, almost 17 years removed from the release of this film. Mm -hmm. So you were not watching it so close in conjunction with Star Trek Insurrection, theatrically at least. That's how I'm speaking. So we are able to look at more of these films in hindsight and see how they've... A little more objective this way. Yes, it's more objective to see how they all age together Mm -hmm. over the years. Now, the Metascore is 51, which is very mediocre. Apparently, the Metascore last time was 64 favorable, whatever, and audiences gave this film an A minus, which is better than the last film a B plus. So usually, the best reaction is the audience reaction. Critics can be kind of snotty about some of their reviews sure, sometimes. Sure. So audiences did like this film just as much as. The other ones. That's good. All right, listeners, we are going to be talking about spoilers for Star Trek Nemesis. And this film has a lot of twists, a lot of twists I didn't see coming. So I'm telling you now, if you haven't seen Star Trek Nemesis, which is streaming on Prime Video right now, go ahead and click pause. Go ahead and watch the film
0: and we'll be ready to talk about it. Do yourself a favor. Go watch it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Go watch this Trek film. Before it gets ruined with spoilers here yeah, right now. Right. <laughs> the crew of the Enterprise, for once, finds themselves embroiled in a Romulan coup d'etat. Captain Picard, reprised by Patrick Stewart, leads his crew to meet with the mysterious Shinzon, played by a 25-year-old Tom Hardy. Hey,
0: Tom Hardy!
1: <laughs> I couldn't believe it was Tom Hardy, and not to mention... He is about my
0: age. <laughs> That's I hadn't even thought of that.
1: Yeah. That's wild. It is wild. Shinzon, who is the leader of the Remans, the subclass of the Romulans. And as Brad pointed out, the Romulan society is very much patterned on Rome and ancient Roman society.
0: It's right. The founding of ancient Rome by- uh, Supposedly. Supposedly, <laughs> mythologically. Yeah. Right uh romulus and remus that's right
1: and even when the film opens you can tell it's kind of supposed to be this you know senate right they call themselves praetors
0: yes very much patterned after ancient roman mythology legends if you will
1: shinzon along with his viceroy played by an unrecognizable ron perlman (laughs) yeah that shocked me shocked me too (laughs) are now in control of the Romulan Empire, after using an illegal weapon to assassinate the entire Romulan Senate. Picard is caught off guard, and so are we, when Shinzon reveals himself to be a clone of Picard. See, 25 years ago, the Romulans took some of Picard's blood to make a clone that would assassinate and replace him within Starfleet, therefore they would have a trusted spy. Ultimately, the project was abandoned, and Shinzon was dumped into the slave mines where he was tortured until adulthood. He built a secret ship called the Scimitar, which no other ship in the galaxy can match in technology or power. Picard wishes to trust Shinzon, but there's something not quite right about him. Meanwhile, the crew finds a disabled clone of Data, reprised by Brent Spiner, who isn't as smart or personable. Finding this clone, aka B-4, was no accident. In fact, he is a plant by Shinzon to steal Picard onto the scimitar where they can complete an operation to heal Shinzon's rapidly degrading body. Thanks to the old switcheroo, Data pretends to be B4 and rescues Picard from the scimitar. Once the crew realizes Shinzon is going to annihilate the entire population of Earth, they take daring measures to stop him. Alas, his ship seems impenetrable. In a twist move, Picard orders the Enterprise to ram the Scimitar while he beams on board the enemy ship to take out Shinzon himself. But Data has other plans. He secretly space jumps to the Scimitar where he saves Picard only after Shinzon's hubris impales him, leading to his demise. Safely away on the Enterprise, Data blows up the Scimitar because despite being an android, he always wanted to be a better individual. Back on the space dock above Earth, Picard and Riker, reprised by Jonathan Frakes, say goodbye for the final time, as Riker will be the new captain of the USS Titan. B-4 receives Data's memory engrams, which gives Picard hope his cybernetic companion may not be completely lost after all, as credits roll. So, of course, there is a lot more to this film than my plot summary, but I had to boil it down to the central premise of what's going on here so immediately i am invested with this story not just because of the graphics or anything like that but because finally for once a star trek film has a unique hook Mm -hmm. with this mysterious Mm -hmm. villain the entire romulan senate is assassinated in in a pretty kind of really crazy way and uh the the mystery of it really pulls me in and especially with Jerry Goldsmith's score it's all working
0: together so well to
1: invest me in this plot it really
0: does I love this uh I love this plot because it, it if we look at all the Star Treks and this is number 10 um uh, we finally have a plot that is worthy of good storytelling you know, to me, since the Wrath of Khan, I mean, this has a plot. You know, there's lots of reasons to love the other Star Trek films uh, for nostalgia and many different things, and, and some good things. But this one has a plot, and, I, and that's been missing for a while.
1: It has been, and I this should have been the follow-up to First Contact. Exactly, I think after Star Trek VI with the old crew, it should have been First Contact. A great epic story and then followed up with this so i'm feeling a little robbed considering yeah, generations and insurrection were
0: such you know weak films and i not only do i feel a little robbed i feel like the viewing public was robbed because you know so many people didn't experience this the low turnout opening weekend and the poor box office results because they were scared off in a way i think because of the poor performance of the previous movie
1: and that's probably the saddest part it's of sad. it is they turned out in droves for generations. And they're like, okay, and then they came with into they came into first contact with the sequel, and the audiences absolutely adored it. And then they got burned with insurrection. and then they thought, you know what, we're just going to take a pass. And by then exactly Home video was far more prevalent in 2002. They're like, we'll probably just pick it up at Blockbuster. Yeah. but they really missed out on the best Picard film absolutely of them all and although i do love the story of first contact having picard face off against himself in this really unique way how the romulans had this plot to clone him and tom hardy plays it so well he's so creepy i love his reveal how he's in the shadows yes and they're all this mysterious shins and kind of this almost class warfare and how he's going to take over. I I was blown away, and we were cautiously optimistic because we're like they might burn us and just ruin this film.
0: We yeah. were worried. Yeah, we were just ca- we were as we were inching through the movie, we we're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. You know, don't don't burn me on this. And we, I remember even saying they're going to have to really mess this up to blow this because this is starting out really well.
1: It was. And not to mention, the film does start off on a lighthearted note, which may throw some viewers off and think, oh, we're, we're going to get another insurrection, where it's just the most lighthearted Trek film aside from the voyage home. And I, I think this is kind of the right-hearted, right-hearted, yeah. the right kind of but lightheartedness. Would,
0: yeah, that lightheartedness was, it, it played well. It, and it was a quick turn. They didn't overdo it, they didn't drag it out too long. And
1: it has a nice tie back. But first of all, I do like, finally, that I feel like there's some important character growth because Riker and Troy get married. It's beautiful. And we needed something for these characters to... They needed somehow to move on with their lives. Right. Because the other films just made it feel like they were in a perpetual state of... They just felt frozen in time. Like nothing ever was ever really going to change. And I thought it was... A little cheesy that Data starts singing. What's the song?
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. I should remember it. What was it? I can't remember all of a sudden. It's a classic old kind of a slow jazz number. Ah.
1: Very famous song. But the way that it is brought
0: back because B4 starts to sing it there. At the very end, yeah. Part of that memory thing.
1: Yeah. And I think Data has been really well served in this plot. Whereas in Generations, he couldn't help but just laugh hysterically all the time. It really didn't do much for his character. That was incredibly disappointing. But I really loved the overall worldview and message of, even though Data is this android, he still sets this example
0: of, I always want to be better. Yeah, this idea that somehow um, the artificial intelligence actually learns and grows, uh, or can, or, you know, aspires to, that's pretty beautiful.
1: And then he sets the example for his human counterparts is he always wants to be better. And then ultimately uh-huh. data sacrifices himself. He saves Picard. I loved that when he, wow. um, I, and this film does a nice job of, and this is something we've talked about in previous reviews, how they don't set up things properly in the first act. And then it feels out of nowhere in the third act. This was set up. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff was set up properly. How- Exactly. When Data first rescues Picard from the scimitar, he said, I was given this instant transmitter to beam me back to the ship. And he said, Data, I'm gonna help you. You're coming with me. And then they flew the ship through the hallways, which was right, pretty exciting. Right, it was pretty cool, yeah. And then Data space jumps from the, which I thought was pretty cool, from the Enterprise to the right, scimitar. right and then when he shows up there he just puts it on Picard doesn't even give him a choice and he's back on the ship and then Data's the one to destroy it and that coming back to Troy I really liked that she had something to do because if you watch the very first episode of the TV series you realize she has the ability to like telepathically communicate hmm. they've never brought that up in all in of these, all these movies. movies wow and then finally There's that really weird scene where Shin where you know Troy and her husband Riker are in bed together, and then all of a sudden it shins on. Yeah, in the bed, it was really that was really macabre. Yeah, made your skin crawl. Yeah, and you realized that these. This Reem and Viceroy has a, an ability
0: to kind of invade her mind, but she uses that
1: power against them mm-hmm. in the
0: end. Yeah, I mean, kudos to the writers. I mean, you, this type of third act reveals that just fit and, and it just kind of fulfills everything and brings it full circle. I mean, that's good writing. That, yeah. That is good script development.
1: And it really is, which... It doesn't surprise me coming from the writer of Gladiator.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that before watching the movie, but now I look back and say, wow, yeah, great writer.
1: And it just makes me wish, why did it take until the 10th film before we could get some bona
0: fide writers for these films? (laughs) I agree, I agree, I agree. The Star Trek franchise deserved, in my mind, the Star Trek franchise deserved this quality of writing all along. But it was just so up and down mediocre, getting good scores because of good feels and nostalgia and these characters, it's Captain Kirk and all these others. But this was was real drama. This was really good.
1: It was really good. And I also enjoyed the cinematography, especially how they used, uh, I'm really surprised this didn't get any kind of technical lighting achievements or accolades. I absolutely loved how Tom Hardy was lit in most all of his scenes, yes. and I think he is probably, st- if if not equal to Khan, second to Khan. Oh yeah, um, hard with to his, tell.
0: They're both good,
1: and he is. I'm, I'm an excellent villain, especially for a 25 year old. He does such a fantastic job, and I really do love kind of the the weird bond between him and Picard because mm-hmm. he is. For all intents and purposes, he is he is Picard. Yeah, he's a clone of him.
0: Yeah, that plays out so well.
1: And I know you brought up the theological aspect of the soul. Picard was born with a soul, but his clone is. You can make
0: everything. It's as you know. You can make everything, but you can't make the soul. Right. You know, and that that was obvious when when Picard was able to. Uh, work through uh, how he's going to handle this guy, and uh, I loved in the, the towards the very end when he's he realizes you know he's expecting me to react in a certain way because they're so linked you know as a clone same, and so he just goes the complete opposite direction, which I guess we're in a spoiler so that's okay but it yep. was just an amazing. Uh, that that was just my uh, just a really uh, wow point for me when he decided to ram the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, Picard rammed the ship. That was so amazing.
1: Yeah, not to mention really exciting and some of probably some of the most exciting action sequences we've oh, seen yes. in a Star Trek film. And now that they are into you know the twenty first century, they actually look good. They do.
0: Yeah, very well done.
1: And even though. And, and this is kind of a big theological debate, but about the soul, even though Shinzon doesn't have a soul, he still has the capacity to do the right thing. He still has the capacity to serve himself or serve his creator. Yeah, and that's right. he doesn't ultimately have that uh, redemption, but the character that does have that kind of redemptive arc is Data. Correct. Who does serve his There's a parallelism
0: there. You know, Mm -hmm. both of them are created um, man-made, if you will, beings uh, with that choice to make. And data chooses rightly.
1: He absolutely does. And I would say that there could even be some maybe Christ narrative associated with data. How data sacrifices himself to save everyone and then kind of his successor B four is could be seen as you know that that kind of look looking forward to the resurrection and Mm how Picard could be seen as the father so the the theological issues aren't heavily explored but I like that it's up to us right to talk about it right it's
0: up there for you to see yeah if you can
1: at, between the lines. And at least this is a smart Star Trek film. It's very smart. That is still going to bring up these questions, nevertheless. I liked that a lot, that it's a smart science fiction film.
0: It, it is, on its own merits. It is, it, it is a great film on its own merits. And I think that cannot be said about all the Star Trek movies. You no.
1: Know, the one thing that I thought was really kind of uncanny, actually was the entire backstory for Shinzon, how he was kind of this rejected child thrown into the mines and he found a protector. And it was a little uncanny because if you watch The Dark Knight Rises, where Tom Hardy plays Bane, Mm -hmm. Bane, I won't give spoilers away to that film, but the character of Bane is also thrown into this dark pit And there is a protector. I don't know. Christopher Nolan might be a a fan (laughs) and thought, I liked him in that. Let's throw him in a very similar role. But listeners, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Christopher Nolan is a secret fan of Star Trek Nemesis and (laughs) kind of adapted that into The Dark Knight Rises? That was just really funny. I would say the one thing that I might like to see maybe expanded upon or corrected is I think there could have been a bit more character conflict or development between Picard and Shinzon. They have one meeting over dinner, which I thought was a pretty good scene. But then Shinzon beams Picard aboard, and all of a sudden he's hostile to him now. And I understand there's kind of a ticking clock to yeah. the Shinzon character because he's his uh, default mechanism is he's about to rapidly just die. Right. Um, he's you that was building yeah i would say that i i wish because this is a movie that they could have expanded that a little bit Mm -hmm. i understand that they wanted to keep the pace flowing i was always invested there was no second act slump like these films seem to constantly suffer from and they did keep the action and intrigue up but if they would have just Slow down a little bit there between those two characters and not immediately rushed into the hostility between the two. I think I would have liked that better.
0: I think that's a good objective criticism. I really do. Um, you know, who knows what their decisions were, uh, whether they were worried about the time and how it would have extended the film too long or something. But I think that's really valid in character development there.
1: Because I really liked that scene where Picard said, I want to trust you, Shinzon, but mm-hmm. you have to earn it. Yeah. And we're still wondering if Shinzon is a true bad guy, although we have our suspicions he was behind that pretty nasty assassination in the very beginning of the film with all of them in the Senate, and you know he's in charge of the entire Romulan Empire now. But nevertheless, he actually has a conflicted backstory, and Picard wrestles with that. Would I, if I was, if I grew up how he grew up, would I be doing the same things you can see him wrestling with that? Yeah. But, and so we do have those moments. I'm just saying I liked them enough. I Mm -hmm. would have liked to have seen a bit more of them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I, I don't think this film really disappointed me in any way. If, if anything, I was, I had low expectations. Well, (laughs) I had
0: low expectations for sure. When I saw those scores before we went in and, uh, you know and you're you're you've got such a great uh cinematic critical mind uh i think you you're awesome at this corbin so you picked up on a few critiques that i didn't pick up on i just really enjoyed this film just really enjoyed it
1: i did too and i know we were very pleased with how it ended very between riker and picard going their separate ways and that kind of hopeful note of Data singing the song and then kind of goes into the original theme and Picard walks down the hallway with a smile. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were just shocked. And we kept saying, they're going to have to do something really unbelievably bad to make us hate this film. And (laughs) they didn't.
0: No, they didn't. And I'm just thinking, you know, I never saw the Star Trek Generations TV series with these characters. You know, you admitted you watched a couple of them. Uh, It just came along at a time in life when I just wasn't able to really get into it. And I was such an original Trekkie fan. I thought, how are you going to improve on Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock? You know, why bother? That was kind of my attitude back then. But uh, now, after this film, this film did it for me. I want to see those TV series. These characters, I'm bonded with these characters after this film more than ever. The others, eh. the one, the first contact was getting me there, but this bonded me to these characters. I'm I'm sad that this is the last of the movies in these characters. I'm so gonna, now I got to go watch the series.
1: Right, I'm really sad too because I'm not ready to let these characters go. Right, and especially it's not fair because we got six films with the original crew, yeah. and in my opinion, two of them were worthy films. The rest of them, of the other four, were. Pretty
0: Right. Yeah. I agree. And so I guess one thing good for them is if you have to go out, it's nice to go out on top. Even though the numbers didn't go out on top, cinematically, theatrically, professionally, they went out on top with this film.
1: Now, would you say this crew went out more on top than
0: the original crew? I really do. I think so. I would agree. Mm-hmm. yeah although we both liked I liked the original one that when they ended but I, I just this one was just a little more The that one with Kirk with the Kirk family every, all those that was a little more of like a stage play let's all take a bow yeah. and it was cool it really was yeah. but this was this was good
1: yeah it was good and I'm glad they didn't just copy the original crew yes. with have them all standing there Right.
0: Uh, I thought that worked well those kind of goodbyes are always difficult. You know, I can think back to so many uh television series that I've been into and when they've had a chance to play out their lifespan and then there's that last episode, what do you do with those characters? Those are always difficult to to do and they did it well here. They really did. Makes me wonder how they ended the series. I'll have to <laughs> wait through watching all those 7 years to find out.
1: They did. And the thing that is kind of cool is they have taken major television arcs and they've edited those into a theatrical film presentation
0: yeah you mentioned that i can't wait to watch that
1: i can't wait to watch those either so that way our time with this crew isn't completely done with right and you can get those in individual blu-rays they've really packaged them as
0: individual movies yeah i wonder if people know that that's a great point you're bringing to your listeners right here that is Go get those.
1: I didn't even know it until I was just looking up on Blu ray.com the Star Trek films, and they're actually repackaging all of them with the films and the TV films. They're repackaging it, it comes out, I believe, next
0: month. Kind of a neat collector set.
1: Yeah, and its own collector set. So instead of four, you get six
0: films. Awesome.
1: So, and I know we just brought up the original crew had six, so Mm -hmm. in a way, Picard has six. And I've heard these other two um, television type films are better than the the other ones that we didn't really appreciate or like very much. So I'm really excited to talk about those and, uh, look at them. So when we do watch those listeners, um, we might do a bonus episode, but if not, then we can give you some written thoughts as well. Well, Brad, what is your rating and recommendation for star Trek nemesis?
0: I'm going to give this film a nine. It's hard for me to give anything a 10. Really, really hard. But I enjoyed the heck out of this film. So I'm going to give it a nine. And would you say it's your favorite Star
1: Trek film? Or do you still like The Wrath of
0: Khan better? You know, I really think I like this one better. I, it's just, it's a more mature film. It's just more sophisticated. So there's things I like better about it. But, And I didn't think I would ever feel that way. But I do. I'm going to give this one my favorite nod.
1: Star Trek Nemesis should have been the follow up to First Contact. What an exciting, engaging story with solid twists. I'm sad this is our seemingly last theatrical outing for these characters because I've really become attached to them. Tom Hardy turns in a solid early performance and he and Stuart play well off of each other. Also, all characters get their moment to shine especially Troy, who I feel is for the first time well-utilized in the story. Despite not being a completely intentional wrap-up, this is still a phenomenal way for the Next Generation crew to go out. Of all the lessons of the Star Trek films, this one feels personally applicable and not preachy. Like Spock's self-sacrifice, Data's desire to always be better is an important life lesson everyone can learn from. This film features unparalleled action for the series, while balancing unique twists I didn't see coming. Sadly, due to this following-the-week insurrection, it performed poorly at the box office and critically. Well, I'm here to tell you this is the best Star Trek film in the franchise so far. I loved Star Trek Nemesis. It receives 8 stars out of 10 with a strong recommend. And I'm really glad to report this is, well, it's actually not. The finale for the Next Generation crew, because last year was announced the brand new television show, Star Trek Picard.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see that.
1: I can't wait either, especially now, because I know when we started it, we thought, oh, yeah, that's cool. Right, it didn't really now, mean anything now to us. it means something to me. Now it really does mean something to me, because this is going to take place in real time, 20 years. After wow. Nemesis. So we're going to see what happened to Picard and the rest of the crew.
0: That's going to be exciting.
1: It really is. And especially because TV is at a whole new caliber than it was 20 right. years ago. Absolutely, Most TV shows have a theatrical presentation to them. So I, I'm expecting great things from mm-hmm. Star Trek Picard to bring Patrick Stewart back, who I don't even know how old he is. I, I'm
0: thinking he's got to be in his upper 70s.
1: He has to be because Jonathan Frakes is he's uh in his late 60s actually. Wow. Jonathan Frakes who is Riker Andrew in this Stewart could,
0: Wow. What was he wasn't he about 60ish when he made this movie? I, I can't remember.
1: I yeah, think I was. think he was somewhere around there. That This has been how many years? Uh it's been 17
0: years. Yeah, so there you know he's way up there getting close to 80.
1: Yeah, because um I I was just you don't think of these people as that old, no, you don't.
0: And and even in the film, Picard, you know, he didn't. You know, he carries himself well. He didn't seem like a man who was somewhere nearing sixty.
1: Yeah, and Jonathan Frakes was born in nineteen fifty two. Wow. So yeah, he would be about sixty seven or mm-hmm. some somewhere around there, sixty eight. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. it's just hard to believe all of these it all is. these people are are getting that old but nevertheless i'm excited to see them return for this tv show listeners we do want to know here's the question for after the show make sure to comment below is this your favorite star trek film if it's not tell us why and then tell us what is your favorite star trek film i'm very curious to know because i went in thinking this is probably going to be you know I don't even know not not very high up but I was pleasantly surprised to see that it is such a great film and one of all the track films I'm looking forward to returning to this one the most but next week we'll be leaping seven years into the future when they completely rebooted the entire series that somewhat serves as a prequel but also is completely different and At least what IMDb users consider to be, and I think even critically, is considered the best Star Trek film. Mm -hmm. It's a great one. Of them all. The next week we will be discussing J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. It's just titled Star Trek with a whole new cast. So I'm very excited to see what that film has in store. We haven't watched it in a long time.
0: Yeah, it's been long enough now that I'm really anxious to see it again, especially in light of this retro spectie that we've done.
1: That'll really mean something because I we had watched many many years ago some of the original films on VHS. They didn't we didn't watch them frequently. I think we right. watched them through like once. Right. Um but then we had seen JJ Abrams films of the Star Trek series and I thought those were really cool, but I didn't have any kind of connection to the original characters or Star Trek whatsoever. Now after watching all 10 films Once we come to Star Trek 11, I think we're going to have some really fresh insights to bring to listeners. So if you haven't already clicked subscribe, don't forget to do that so you will not miss the review next week. But Brad, thank you for joining me. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me along the way. Absolutely. And listeners, thank you for joining us as well. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and family. We love uh, just talking about films here on Silver Screen Guide, growing the Silver Screen Guide community. We also have some great written articles on the website. We have most recently an entire guide to all of the James Bond films. We went through and watched all of those and wrote an extensive guide for you to have fun and check out. Also on the YouTube channel, we have some really great reviews and also some guides to help you out. We, I talk about Regal's new unlimited plan comparing it with Redbox and AMC. I also have some other videos planned that will be coming out very soon. And I think you'll uh, really like, we had a lot of great reaction to the Regal video. A lot of you commented On there, and said that really helped inform your decision whether you should sign up for Regal Unlimited or not. So keep the conversation going over there. I love interacting with all of you and talking with you there over on the YouTube channel. So don't forget to subscribe over there for the video side of the content. Listeners, we will see you next week. Oh, well, before I go, Alan and I did do an update podcast that didn't come out on our usual Monday that released earlier. In the middle of this week, where we talk about the upcoming schedule for the rest of 2019, early 2020, kind of some more exciting updates, all of that's in that podcast. So make sure to don't pass that one over, check that one out to hear some exciting updates. And Alan is coming back and we will be um, doing some more great reviews and retrospectives and picking up where we left off with those. So listeners, we will see you next week with Star Trek.